Maria Luisa Para is the senior preceptor in Harvard's Romance and Literature Department. For many years, she has taught Spanish as a heritage language to college Latinos and Latinas. She has written extensively on second language acquisition and bilingualism. Welcome, Maria Luisa. Thank you, you, June. As you know, we're celebrating the month of October as Hispanic Heritage Month. (laughs) What does that mean to you? Well, thank you, June. It's a pleasure to be here with you. And um, thank you for starting with this important question, because as you know, um, my work centers around heritage and the recognition of Latino heritage and its contributions in our daily lives and identities. So for me to have this month, uh, which is also a beautiful month in New England as the Spanish, uh, the Hispanic Heritage Month, it's a, it's a wonderful reminder of the presence of Latinos in this country and their contributions in terms of history culture, and of course, language. Well, as you know, Hispanic Heritage Month actually grew out of that day that we used to call Columbus Day. Mm -hmm. And it was just a day. And now it's a month. Why do we need a whole month to celebrate Hispanic heritage? Uh, Well, I think that the month speaks to the great contributions of Hispanics or Latinos in this country. You know, according to the census in 2020, we are now more than 60 million Latinos um, and uh, around 45 million are Spanish speakers. Um, And um, Spanish was spoken in this country as a colonial language before English. And now is the second, um, I don't like very much the word minority language, but it's the second language after English in this country. So I think that um, we need a whole month to celebrate the the diversity um, of Latino cultures in this country. And it's also the, you know, the youngest and the fastest growing group in the U.S. Uh huh. Now, when you say diversity, what are you referring to? Well, the the Latino community in this country is diverse because we have people from all countries um, of the Spanish-speaking world, Latin American, the Caribbean, and also we have people from different regions within each one of those countries. So that's what I refer as diversity. Mm, That's really interesting. Um, You've been teaching a course for years on Spanish for Latino students. Could you tell us a bit about how that course came about? Well, that's a long story, but uh, long story short, when I became a senior preceptor, um, when I was hired as a senior preceptor in my department, I already had experience working with young Latino children in Somerville Public Schools. I was... um, the uh, program coordinator of a program called the Homeschool Connection Program that was based at Tufts University. The director was uh, Dr. Marta Julia Garcia Sellers. And in that program, I work with Latino families with young 
children transitioning from home to kindergarten. And it was when Massachusetts had bilingual program still. Um, it was 2003, more or less, 2000, yeah, 2002. And um, I knew that Spanish was a very important asset for this community. So when I came to Harvard, I didn't see any courses for Latino students. And I decided to um, pilot one. And at the time, I had a wonderful um, language program director that allowed me to pilot this uh, course in 2013. And since then, I have been teaching it every every fall um, and with a different course in the spring, too. So I have. Could you tell us a bit? Could you tell us a bit about the course? Of course. So the course, my courses always aim to build on students' strengths and previous knowledge of Spanish. And um, in one of the courses, we explore the relationship between their Spanish language practices and their Latin and their Latinx identities. And we understand a language like Spanish as a way of knowing the world and making meaning through oral and written exchanges, uses with the community in the family or professional academic context. So students, the course are, is designed for students to um, share, reflect critically um, around the history of the Spanish language, their family heritage, you know, the impact of immigration and uh, the Latinx cultural and linguistic traditions and innovations that have flourished in this country. But what do you actually do in the course? Could you tell us about like a day, a class day? Of course. So I design specific activities and questions that I bring to the students to um, for them to answer them. And in that exercise of answering questions, for example, around a piece of art or a movie they watch or a reading they, they uh, made as homework, we start reflecting on uh, different topics that are important for, for them as members of the Latino community. So, for example, um, if we watch a movie, uh, we reflect on, you know, what are the social relations that the movie is presenting? Uh, if the movie is from Latin America, what does that mean in terms of your Latinx experience here in the U.S.? How is language used or portrayed in the movie? If we're talking about art, um, we analyze who did this piece of art, what is the message, what images are being presented there, what is their symbolism, and if this literature, what are the authors, you know, uh, trying to convey with the story or their poetry and how that speaks to them as Latinx. Just curious, what was the last movie uh, you watched uh, with your class? The last movie that we watched was Nosotros los Nobles uh, from um, Alasraki in Mexico. And we are about to watch uh, Frida, the Frida movie. 
of course. <laughs> ah, you're kind of an expert on Frida, aren't you? Well, kind of. You you said it right. <laughs> Because I'm I'm not an art historian, but I definitely have studied a lot about you know Frida and especially about the historical context. That's what my class is about um, at Extension School. Ah. Well, you know, I've had the opportunity to be with you uh, in your class, and I've noted that um, you sometimes have the children of Latino Harvard professors and then of Mexican migrant workers. So what are the challenges of teaching across race and class mm-hmm. and nationality? That's right. Um, well, there are the way I approach those differences um, it's more towards a lens of opportunity for all of us to really learn about you know how those dimensions of race and class um, are part of our own Latinx community in Latin America in the U.S. and in the classroom so um, my experience has been that different students coming from different backgrounds are interested in listening to others' stories. And interestingly enough, they notice that they share some commonalities, even when they also acknowledge the differences in, you know, backgrounds, maybe, you know, privileges, immigration stories. At the end, um, I I work also for them to find common ground as young people, as Latinx, as bilinguals, um, coming from, um, you know, a certain social class doesn't exclude challenges in terms of, um, growing up bilingual or parents' expectations. Sometimes they are higher and greater uh, when you have educated parents and that doesn't make it easier for children. Um, so I, I work, um, I make sure that they learn from each other and, and find that common ground. That's great. Um, you also teach a course called Spanish in the Community. Mm-hmm. Um, one doesn't think of Boston as a particularly Hispanic city. Could you give me some examples of where your students have volunteered? Right. So it's, it's true. We, we tend to think about Boston as more, you know, Irish, European immigrants. But uh, now, According to you know some online publications like Boston Indicators or you know the Boston Globe, um, Latino community makes up to twenty percent of the city population now. So um, we have you know a statewide um, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Salvadorian, Colombians, Mexicans, and that community is growing. Um, It definitely has grown in the last 20 years. And when we think about, for example, is Boston or other cities like uh, is Somerville, Chelsea, Revere, then, you know, you start thinking about Latino community being more prominent. So I have built over the years, relationships with organizations in those 
parts of uh, those cities that work and serve the Latino community. And that's where the students go and do their um, service work uh -huh. in Spanish. In Spanish. Uh -huh. Why you've told us about your work um, with Spanish as a heritage language. Why did you decide to teach this course? For the community, um, this course has uh, also a long story, maybe, you know, older than, than the other class. Uh, and actually, it started as an invitation from the David Rockefeller Center for Latin American Studies to uh, my then coordinator, Dr. Johanna Leander. Dr. Klaas was interested in uh, putting together a course with a community service component. And at the time, Dr. Leander invited me to work with her in designing the course. <clears throat> so I was the TA who um, started building this community relations and actually the first one to teach this class. Uh, now I am the course head of that course, and uh, but it has been taught, you know, for 20 more more than 20 years. And one fall when I was teaching my Latino class, the class was so great. The students were so happy. They were so comfortable together that they wanted to continue together for another semester. And they asked me to design the second part of that course. So what I did was to take my community class and made a version for Latino students. Ah. So now Latino students also have the opportunity to take this class and be engaged with their own communities. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a couple of stories about how this volunteer work has influenced students' lives? Well, I think that over the years, what we have noted is, is that once well, first of all, many students already come with a with experience with the community, um, and they they really like it and connect with that. But many of them, once we do the work in Spanish with the Latinx community, some of them have geared their academic paths and interests um, to become, you know, more involved in. Uh, for example, immigration law or medicine. Uh, we don't have yet enough in education, but we have to work on that. <laughs> um, so I think that being in contact with Latino people in Spanish gives students a lot of, you know, material to work and reflect and they some of them have changed their, their career paths um, to be able to include in their professional future the work with Latino community. That's really interesting. I was thinking that that class is also very unusual because Harvard students tend not to get out mm -hmm. in the community. Right. And do you feel like that's made a change in the way that they approach coursework or the way that they look at their identity? Well, definitely the 
advantage that I have had over the years is that the students that come and take this course kind of self-select, you know, because they are already interested in doing that. However, <laughs> I know that um, courses with what now is called engaged scholarship component have, have grown throughout the Harvard. And now you have, for example, the Mindich program for engaged scholarship under the direction of um, Flavia Perea, who supports and encourages faculty to design courses with um, community or engaged scholarship components. So I think that that model, pedagogical model, is growing and teachers are becoming more invested in designing courses like that. And of course, now students have more options and also very interested in uh, expanding, you know, their learning experience beyond Harvard Yard. Mm -hmm. Seeing all this tremendous work around heritage speakers and bilingualism and Latinos in the community, um, I'd like to ask you how you identify yourself. Are you a Mexican, a Mexican-American, a Hispanic, a Latina, a Latinx, or even a Latine? <laughs> well, I think that's a great question. Um, definitely Mexican. Um, I would, I would, I would identify as Mexican and also now as Latina. Um, I feel very, you know, fortunate and proud to, you know, have been able to be part of um, a community um, that has really embraced my work and embraced me, uh, my sons. And um, now I think that I have a, not only an understanding of the experience of being Latina in the U.S., but also the experience myself, right? After living here in this country 25 years. Um, I think that it took me a while to identify myself as Latina because I didn't think I had the lived experiences that would allow me to feel and to be part of that community. But now I think that, that I, I do. Um, and um, I'm, I'm very happy to, to feel that way. When did that happen for you? I don't know if there was a specific moment. I think that it has been the result of, you know, different um, events over the time. Definitely the fact that Latina, particularly Latina students, but also Latinos have come to me to talk and that we have relationships beyond, you know, uh, I'm always their mentor, uh, but, the, you know, it's, it grows beyond academic uh, connection and grading. Um, it's profe, how are you? And profe, we want to invite you. And profe, we want to ask you. So I think that they have made me feel that I, also part of this community and for that I've been very grateful and, and honored. Now we've been using a lot of different labels like Hispanic and Latinx 
this and like do these labels matter well um juan flores would say they do <laughs> in his book um uh, from uh, Bamba to hip hop, right? He has a chapter where he talks about the Latino imaginary and he specifically talks about these labels. I think that they should not matter, but the reality is that they do matter because they, you know, um, have different connotations for different people. And that's what I think makes uh, some agreements within the Latino community very complicated because they are charged, right? Um, for different people, the word Hispanic would, you know, trigger some, you know, sentiments around that word and Latinx triggers the other sentiments for other groups. So we are such a um, again, I'm going to use the word diverse community, not only in terms of coming from different regions or countries, but generations and social class. And all these labels have specific meanings for it, different groups. So how do we connect? How do we address the other? I think it's becoming a fascinating but very integrated um, discussion within our own community. Do you have any personal preferences? Do I have any? I I like I like Latinx um, and um, Latino. Yes, I like that more. Mm -hmm. Spanish is such a gendered language. <laughs> when when you're teaching Spanish, when you're teaching these Latin. Latin ex students. <laughs> How do you deal with that? Well, I think that this um, topic of inclusive language is a topic that is being discussed throughout the languages. Roma's languages has a particular challenge of having, of being a language that is has a strong gender, um, you know, load that is integrated into the uh, morphology, morphology and syntax uh, of the language. Um, as you know, the community is trying to find ways to express um, gender diversity within the language and it's you know, the language itself has its own constraints. So what I do in my classes is to use the X strategically in a symbolic way um, to signal students that I'm for, you know, being inclusive. My uh -huh. classroom is inclusive. However, we can still not use that X or that E um, throughout you know, our text or our conversations. Um, I don't penalize if students say something with the X or the E or play a little bit with it in the texts, but we talk about it and it's clear that we cannot, I mean, we can do it, um, but we also need to know that 
outside our classroom and this discussion, you know, in other places, the language is still functioning um, as has always done. Where do you stand on Spanglish? Where do I stand on Spanglish? Well, I'm all for creativity. And I think that Spanglish is part of the linguistic repertoire that Latinos have in this country. Um, and as such, should be acknowledged and respected and recognized as language use. And at the same time, that doesn't mean that students don't want to enrich their repertoire because they do. That's why they take classes, right? And they're interested in learning the grammar or that they already have a solid internal grammar, many of them, but they want to learn the grammar and the proper uses of the language. And what I teach in my classes and my stand on Spanglish is that Spanglish is pretty proper in you know, the context where it's used. I can't speak Spanglish, so I don't consider myself, you know, proficient enough because I don't know how to do it. Um, mm -hmm. So we go to the rules. Now, once we get into learning the, the rules or, you know, formal uses of the language, that doesn't mean that Spanglish is less valuable or important for communities. So I see Spanglish as part of the whole repertoire that Latinos in this country have to know to be able to communicate with different communities. Mm -hmm. um, one more question. There was recently a letter published in the medium Axios, which was signed by more than 100 prestigious authors and intellectuals mm -hmm. from Latin America and the United States, including Dr. Class Director Steve Levitsky. It asked the New York Times publisher to continue its opinion section in Spanish. Do you think it's important to have Spanish language sections in major U.S. newspapers? And why, when most educated readers have some working knowledge of English? Right. I think it's an important thing. It's a wonderful thing to have Spanish um, written in prestigious newspapers because that is a sign to all the community, not only Spanish speakers, that Spanish is a language that is used to write about important topics and is, you know, part of a prestigious publication. Um, and I think that that sends a powerful message to not only Latino uh, children and youth, but policy makers educators that we need to open up more opportunities for Latino students to engage with written Spanish. How to do that? It's another, it's a matter of another question because it's not only about mm, 
putting together classes where students are going to get penalized for the way they use their Spanish. Is how also to design those classes where students are going to engage with the written language as a process. And you and I know for our experience in teaching together that students want to do that. Uh, it takes time. It would take me a lot of time to, to write a, a chronica uh, or op-ed piece for the New York Times in Spanish. So students, you know, have to go through that process. But if we tell them, hey, you can publish in Spanish in the New York Times, that's a wonderful message for them. We started off talking about Hispanic Heritage Month. Is there anything you would like to add? <laughs> Well, I think that I hope that the month continues to be an opportunity for everybody to feel proud of their heritage, um, not to feel ashamed in any way, uh, because we have less heritage or more heritage. The heritage is there. The seed is there. The roots are there. And every time I give some assignments, creative assignments, assignments to my students, they take the opportunity to represent the language as a tree or as a flower that has roots, has branches, has leaves, and they see it as a growing and living thing. So I think that the Heritage Month should be, you know, the ground, the soil ground to nourish all those trees um, to keep growing in um, Spanish, you know, has to be part of that. Thank you, Maria Luisa. Maria Luisa Para is a senior preceptor in Harvard's Romance Languages and Literatures Department. For many years, she has taught Spanish as a heritage language to college Latinos and Latinas. She has written extensively on second language acquisition and bilingualism. Thank you for being with us in this Faculty Voices. Thank you, June. It has been a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>